everybody and welcome to waxwork.com's amazing podcast called cast in wax my name is jordan new white and with me as always are my three co-hosts let me introduce them one by one by one because there's three of them you see that's how it works let's start with one scapey hey how are you this is my cat scape hello how are you guys uh i'm good i'm good i think uh, we'll see how everybody else is doing as we go down the line but what is up with you scape do you have any exciting news today anything interesting going well not particularly um i have no interview this week, so that's sort of a bummer, but, um, you know, maybe next week. No, not next week, no. I've got plans. Well, no, I mean, Frank, you, you can have, fine. Frank, okay, this is Frank Allen. He usually does interview segments. He hasn't for the last two weeks, but he's going to do one today, correct? Yeah, uh, and I've got one planned for next week, so you can't take away my, my segment next week either. Well, that's, yeah, but that's not up to you. You I mean, you can plan ahead if you'd like, but, I mean, it's possible I might. I mean, I'm not going to this time. Because I'm, I'm just not. We'll try to figure out something for you, though, Scape. Thanks. Well, because otherwise I just sit here, like, bored out of my mind when we're doing the podcast. No, Scape, you're supposed to compliment the podcast. Come on. Ugh, Dad, that never works. I get sick of it. Look, give me a part where I'm allowed to sing, and then we'll talk. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. All right, so Scape, you're doing all right. Uh, Frank, are you doing okay? Well, yeah, I've got my interview back, so... You know, I'm fine. And uh, I told you I was going to be interviewing a, a supervillain, and I did. It's amazing, wonderful stuff. So uh, it's a good one. Good, good. I look forward to hearing that. We'll hear that later in the show. Um, and finally, I should get to my last co-host. And the reason I'm kind of zipping through the introductions is because everybody listening, I know, wants to get to my final co-host, Mr. Rory Sinjin. Rory, say hello to everybody. Hello. Uh, yes. I'm happy to be here, Jordan. Yes. Are you? Good. Good. Uh, that, that makes me happy to hear that. Um, how are you doing? We have to check in about your legal issues. I mean, everybody at home is wondering about your legal troubles. Everybody wants to know, you know, are you still in legal trouble? Uh, for those of you who have not listened to the podcast before, I should summarize. Rory, uh, basically lied in court. He didn't actually lie in court. Right now. But, but he, he, he didn't actually lie. It was technically not perjury, I don't think, but he, he said some vaguely misleading things and he's been charged with, um, obstruction of justice. Now, Reason? Do you want to explain how it works? Well, yeah, look, it's a it's a pretty simple theory. I I I my business is to the exploration of alternate realities, and um, you know, I hypothesize alternate realities, thereby discovering them supposedly. No, actually, actually, that's how it works. And so the idea was, yes, that if I went into court and someone asked me a question, I would be able to say yes, pretty much anything. You know, if somebody said was was the 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 defendant at his mother's house all day that day, I could say yes, absolutely. Um, you know, things like that, because I was talking about alternate realities. And they decided that they think that that's probably an obstruction of justice because I was trying to mislead the court. But, I mean, it's just, I was just answering it truthfully from my point of view. Okay, okay, but you don't need to defend yourself to us. Tell us about the legal troubles. Are you still, are you still being tried? What's the deal? Uh, well, um, over the past week, I, I misunderstood uh, what, my, what my lawyer was saying. There was a, they had a grand jury. There was a standing grand jury at the time, so um, my, my case appeared before a grand jury, and it uh, did go forward. So I am actually being formally tried now. Um, uh, apparently there was very little deliberation. You know, the grand jury was very much like, oh, absolutely charge this person. Uh, from what my lawyer said, I mean, just time-wise, obviously he wasn't present while they were deliberating. But, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little concerned. He He's actually advised me at this point uh, to plead guilty. Wow. Really? Well, yes, he's he, he's advising that if, if we do a plea bargain, perhaps there will be 
uh, uh, leniency, and I will not serve any jail time. Wow. Uh, <laughs> what are you going to do? Well, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm torn. I, I, on the one hand, you know, I, I don't think I did anything wrong. I, I was, I was, I was absolutely just being honest, telling the truth as I saw it. Yes, but Rory, you were intending to mislead. You were deliberately. No, no, no. I wasn't deliberately doing anything. You were. You were deliberately trying to make them think you were talking about this reality. You were trying to. That's why you, you were getting paid for it. You, somebody offered you money to go and make them seem like they were somewhere that they weren't. It was misleading and it was on purpose. Well, I didn't. Okay, I didn't see it that way. But so I don't want to plead guilty. I don't want to admit that I did it because I didn't think that what I did was wrong. Yeah, but it was. Yeah, it, it was. Two out of two out of three of. I mean, Scape, do you think it was wrong too? Um, I guess I was there. Well, just was it? I mean, was it wrong or not? What he did was he lied, told some people that someone was one place when they were really another. Well, I guess that's not right. I guess. So all three of us believe that you that you did something wrong. I mean, maybe you should consider this plea bargain. Maybe you should like you know take whatever deal that they're they're offering because if you're if you can get out of jail time. Do it. Well, I mean, yes, that's the other side. I, I really don't want to go to jail, obviously. I mean, I, 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 I don't think that would be a good thing for me um, to go through. So, uh, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I have a meeting with my lawyer um, today, m Monday, that is, uh, and I will try. I will try to see what I, what I'm, I'm, I, I, I have a lot of soul searching to do, I think. <laughs> soul searching. No, just, just take the stupid deal. Look, you know you did it. Just plead guilty. You know you did it. If they, if they don't give you jail time, you got off easy. Well, no, Frank, I, I don't think it, it's a matter of that. It's a, it's a matter of that because you did it. You did the crime. Now you gotta do the time. The question is how much time you're gonna do. Now, maybe you won't have to actually physically do time. Then take that opportunity for Christ's sake. No, Frank, I don't, I don't want to go to jail, okay? You know, it's it's very, it's very scary. The idea that I will be in prison is frightening to me. So I don't want to admit that I did it. You see, because I don't feel like I did anything wrong. No, oh, oh, Rory, no, it's it's all right. It's all right. You know, things will be all right. I, I I'm sure that your lawyer can work things out. You know, just go talk to your lawyer, and they'll probably make it better. I mean, they'll give you the best advice. They know the law. I don't know. Uh, I mean, we don't. You know, Frank and I, we don't know the law. Escape doesn't know what even the law is. So, you know, it, just go talk to your lawyer. I'm right. sure this will be fine. I mean, that's that's what I'm. Of course, that's what I'm going to do. Yes. Um. I I I, I think I, I'm sure. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will be fine. Good. Good. Okay. Uh. Well, let's let's uh let's start the show. I guess. Um. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. No point in dwelling on this. All right. Um. What do we have up first? Let's see. We have a little show that I like to call like mother. In the last episode, you'll remember Pandora had gone to Seattle to try to get away from her mother, but her mother was going to Seattle as well because of the weird conspiracy that she's following, as was Bobby Kurtzman for a protest. Uh, and Bobby and Pandora went to Pandora's grandparents' house to try to get away from the mother, but the mother showed up, decided they were part of the conspiracy, they'd been replaced by Cask, and she took out the grandparents. Oh, and Bobby got shot in the process. That wasn't good. Let's see how it all pans out. Here's like mother. <laughs>
Like Mother, Episode 7, Red Right Hand, by Lynn Nelson. What? Oh, God, my head is throbbing. What happened to me? Oh, my God, am I blind? I can't see, I can't see, I can't see! Okay, Bobby, hold on. Um, Open your eyes. Okay, good. <laughs> hey, Pandy's here. She looks pretty. Bobby Kurtzman had spent most of his days pining after Pandora Darling in the halls and classrooms of Carousel High School. But ever since Pandy had discovered that her mother had a habit of killing people whom she claimed were part of a conspiracy against the nation, Bobby had found himself in a number of uncomfortable positions. His memory had been erased. He'd been locked in one of Hope's boxes, which was admittedly more uncomfortable for Pandora who had been locked in with him. Now, he was waking up in a car next to Pandy, and his head was throbbing. Pandy? You're awake. My head really hurts, Pandy. What's going on? Do you remember anything? Kind of. We were at your grandparents' house. Well, were they your grandparents? I don't think so. They were fighting. That's all I remember. Yeah, you, uh, fell asleep. Is... Is that a bandage on my head? Yeah, you got shot. Shot? Don't worry, Bobby. I taught Pandy how to dress wounds. Um, maybe I'm wrong about this, but wouldn't it be better to take me to a hospital? No time. We've got to get to Jason Brandt. Hope, Pandy, and Bobby had flown to Seattle to see Jason Brandt speak at a protest at the G8 Summit. Well, more accurately, Bobby had flown to Seattle to see Jason Brandt speak. Hope had flown to Seattle to save Jason Brandt from being killed after decoding a message in the paper that she believed to be an assassination warning. Pandy had flown to Seattle to escape to her grandparents' house. A lot of confusion, and a few dead imposters later, the three found themselves in a rented car on the way to the G8 Summit. Jason Brandt was a popular advocate for the middle and lower classes, and Hope firmly believed his life was in danger. Pandora was not giving up much of a fight, since she believed her mother had been right about her grandparents being imposters. Bobby was excited to see Jason Brandt, of whom he was a big fan, but the whole getting shot in the head thing was upstaging that excitement for the moment. I did a good job, Bobby. The bullet just grazed you anyway. Pandy, I don't want to say anything mean about your mom or anything, but... It's okay. Believe me. Is she crazy? No matter how many times you kids ask that, the answer isn't going to change any. <sighs> okay, Pandy. Yeah? You really think they're going to kill Jason Brandt? I don't know, Bobby. My mom was right about Grandma and Packa. They... they weren't Grandma and Packa. Oh, jeez, I forgot for a second. Oh, my head really hurts. What happened to your... to them? My mother took care of them. Are they... dead? Yeah. What? Where? What did your mom do with the bodies? You really don't want to know. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll take your word for it. I hope real Grandma and Paca are okay. Think you'll find them? I hope so. Mother called the police and reported them missing. Okay, kids. We're going to park here and walk over. No sense in trying to fight traffic. Bobby, are you okay to walk? I think so. We'll find out soon enough, I guess. Good. We're going to need your help. What? 
Me? Of course. Now it's exactly 12.17. He's scheduled to speak at 1. We should allow for 20 minutes to get there, which leaves us just about 20 minutes to assess the situation, make our way to the main protest stage, and get Brent out of there. And what's the plan for that? We'll have to work out the details when we get there. Just trust me. Great. Pandy, are we going to die? Bobby, if you ask me that one more time... Well, sorry, but my throbbing head is a constant reminder of getting shot very recently and not being taken to the hospital. I don't care if you've had your memory erased or passed out and forgotten or what? We haven't died yet, so I'm just holding my breath until I get everything straight. My what erased? Later, Bobby. For now, we have to go save this guy. The three made their way through the city to the Grand Hyatt. They elbowed through various crowds until Hope spotted a platform set up near the building. There was a large crowd around it, and the police were already holding off large groups of people who were trying to get near the stage. There. There are the rioters. The paper said they were going to get Jason, right? That's not them. Are there other ones? No, those are the rioters, but they're not here to get Brent. Who then? Let's get closer to the stage. Doesn't look like we can get too close. There are police everywhere. Just follow me. The two teens followed Hope as she pushed her way up to the front of the stage. I want you two to wait here. Don't move. Pandy, I want you to survey the audience and tell me what you see when I get back. Pandy and Bobby watched as Hope went up to one of the officers and whispered something in his ear. She was there for a couple of minutes and then returned. What was that all about? Bobby, you have sort of a backstage pass to talk to Brent before he goes on. Really? Um, Mom, are you forgetting the bloody bandage on his head? It's fine. Bobby, I want you to go to Jason Brent and say exactly what I tell you, all right? Okay, Mrs. Darling. Hope gave Bobby his instructions and sent him on his way to Jason Brent. Now, Potato, did you get to scan the crowd at all? Yes, and I... Think I know who's here to kill him? That's wonderful. Point them out to me. There's a group of five men off to the left a little. Right there. Those men in suits there? Yeah. And why did you identify them? Well, they have been huddling and looking suspicious. They look out of place because they look like officials here for the J8 Summit, which means they would not be in the protest crowd. They seem upset about Jason Brandt causing a disturbance. Not bad. Really? Well, your reasoning was off, and two men would have died unnecessarily had you acted on your suspicion, but it was a good first try. What do you mean? Group those five people into two groups, one consisting of the two men closest to us, and one consisting of the three men furthest from us. Okay. Now, try and notice a difference between the two groups. I'm trying, Mother, but I just don't see it. There's a dark cloud over those who wish to destroy our livelihood. You're weirding me out again. You'll get there, Pandy. I guess. Come, Bobby will be back soon. Now I need you to do something. Oh, God, what now? I need you to go to the street and jack a car for us. What? Do you remember how to disable a car alarm? Yeah. And how to get the car to start? Yeah. Good. Now I need you to go to the street over there, jack a car, and drive up just to where that post is. Got it? What? Why? We have our car parked already. And how do I remember how to jack a car? I've never done that before. There won't be enough time to get to our car. And you remember because I trained you with my audio training files. Now go. Pandora threw her hands up in disgust, but was starting to know better than to argue with her mother. Besides, the incident with her fake grandparents had made Pandora secretly wonder if her mother was actually not crazy. Meanwhile, Bobby had timidly gone up to Jason Brandt, who was waiting near the main protest stage. Uh, Jake, uh, Mr. Brandt? Oh, hey, kid! They said I could come back and talk to you. Sure, it's no problem! What happened to your head? Oh, that. 
It's kind of a long story. I, I fell on the way here, and I just... Well, I just wanted to get here in time, so... Are you okay? Do you need to see someone? Oh, please. No, I'm really okay. It's just a small scrape. It's really just so great to meet you. I can't believe it. I follow your work very closely. Well, it's always great to meet a fan. You want to go grab a cup of coffee or something? Well, gee, I'd love to, but... Don't you have a speech to make? Yeah, I guess so. But I wanted to ask you, and you don't have to say yes, of course, but I thought that since I'm here and they let me talk to you, do you have a few minutes for an interview? I'd love to post it on my blog. Hey, sure! I just feel stupid because I didn't bring my notepad over, but my mom has one, and she's waiting just outside the stage entrance over there. Would you mind coming to meet her, and then I could ask you a few questions? Not at all, kid. That sounds like fun! Bobby led Brant over to where Hope was standing just next to the entrance of the stage. Jason Brandt, this is my mom. It's a pleasure to meet you, Mr. Brandt. I'm a pretty big fan myself. Hope leaned in a little too close to Brandt and took him by the arm. She pressed the butt of a gun into his back and, maintaining a smile, explained that he should go along quietly with her if he didn't want anyone to get hurt. Jason Brandt hurriedly obliged, and the three of them made their way through the crowd. Hope scanned the audience as she passed and noticed that the small group of men she had been watching earlier was starting to make a fuss, most likely because the keynote speaker had disappeared quickly and mysteriously. She spotted a car pulling up awkwardly to the post she had identified and hurried Bobby and Brant to it. She pushed Bobby and Brant into the back seat and pulled a small piece of black cloth out of her back pocket. Pandora, listen carefully to me. I am going to close this door, and you are going to roll down your window and start driving away. When I tell you, you are to jump into the passenger seat, okay? Are you nuts? What are you doing? Pandy was watching her mother unfold the black cloth and strap it around her face, positioning the holes in the cloth around her eyes. Just do as I say. Hope slammed the back door of the stolen vehicle. Pandy, what the hell is your mom doing? I don't know, but it seems like the only thing to do is drive. Hope banged on the back door window, and Pandy took a deep breath. She rolled down her window and stepped on the gas. Hope leapt to the top of the car. As Pandy drove away behind the crowd, Hope drew out her gun and fired three silenced shots directly into the heads of the three men she had identified as cask agents. As a great commotion started around the stage, Hope leant down on the driver's side of the car and yelled through the window, Move, Pandy! Pandy jumped clumsily into the passenger seat, and Hope slid herself through the window and into the driver's seat. She whipped off her mask and threw it into the back seat. She took the wheel, gun still in her right hand, and stepped on the gas. Oh my god! This gets crazier every time! Your mom is awesome! She's not my mom! Though sometimes I wish she was! What? Never mind. You'll thank us later, Jason. We've just saved your life. Oh, I know. And I am forever indebted to you. You know? What? I know all about the conspiracy. 
You do? Is everyone crazy? I was desperately looking for a way out of that situation. Thank you so much for saving me. Really, I can't thank you enough. So, you know about Cask? About what? You said something about the conspiracy. I didn't know it had an official name or anything. I was talking about the G8 officials who were working for the aliens. They were going to kill me or abduct me today. I just know it. Does Hope Darling have more on her hands than she bargained for? Is Brandt crazier than Pandora's mother? Where will our three heroes end up with this potential lunatic? Find out next week as Like Mother continues with Alias. In that episode of Like Mother, the narrator was Charles Berman, Pandora Darling was Guinevere Eckert, Hope Darling was Lynn Nelson, Bobby Kurtzman was Jordan D. White, and Jason Brandt was Elijah Weberham theme song was by Jordan D. White. Thank you very much, Rory. Um, you, you seem a little bit better now than you were before. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, again, I'm, you know, I, I thank you very much. And I, I also want to say I, I thank the people who sent me letters for support. Um, we've gotten quite a few letters at our email address, which which is uh, uh, castinwax at gmail.com. Castinwax at gmail.com. No spaces, no underscores, just castinwax at gmail.com. Yes, uh, that's the one. But I've gotten lots of uh, letters from that uh, of support. People saying they, they really hope that that I don't go to jail, that I that I, what I did was right. I don't think, well, I don't think we've gotten any that said what you did was right. Well, I mean, no, they say that, well, they say that what I did was not, well, they, they say that I, they, I shouldn't go to jail. They say that they hope you don't go to jail, yes. Well, yes, they, well, yes. Okay, and we hope you don't go to jail as well. well no, I mean, I, well, good, yes, I, I didn't want to go to jail. Well, no, but Roy, don't, uh, yes, don't don't think about that right now, because we, we have to do This Day in History. It's the part of the show that you contribute every time. This Day in History, right? Yes, yes, um... It is time for that. Uh, t- in today's day in history is quite exciting. Um, it's got it's got some superheroics in it. Oh, good, good, because we don't have uh, we have no guard duty this episode, so it's good to have s- superheroes still on the show in some way or other. Yes, it's going to be very exciting. Um, here we are with this day in history. Hello and welcome to This Day in History. My name is Roy Sinjin on WHRW Binghamton. On August 25th, 1875, Matthew Webb, a 27-year-old merchant navy captain, becomes the first known person to successfully swim the English Channel. Captain Webb accomplished the grueling 21-mile crossing in 21 hours and 45 minutes. <laughs> I'm going to box in the Atlantic Ocean. Now the Atlantic Ocean is an enclosed space. <laughs> it is I, Admiral Enclosed Space. I'll defeat the world. <laughs> oh no, the Atlantic Ocean is in peril. This looks like a job for your friendly neighborhood, Captain Webb. Oh no, I'm being caught in your spider-like tendrils. It's true. I have three of those. Now. Wait, wait a minute. What? Captain Webb. Yes. Here's some glue if you want to stick me down onto the wall of this enclosed space. I see almost no way this can go wrong. Quickly, glue to an enclosed space. Now I'll use my web powers to get out of this enclosed space, trapping you here. Wait. Away! Aren't you feeling dizzy? <laughs> Wait. Darn it. Now that you mention it, I am feeling very dizzy. And powerless. Of course! Being in an enclosed space and sniffing inhalants fills my system with toxins. My greatest weakness. I think... I think my brain is a rainbow cauliflower. Purple talking <laughs> Indian, what have you done to me? <laughs> I've succeeded. The Atlantic Ocean and Captain Webb have been defeated by me. Man, you sure do talk a lot like a supervillain. I am one. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. It's weird that you're glued inside this box with me. 
And now I die. Oh yeah, you're right. Well, looks like mutual defeat. Ha ha ha! Oh, no good. And yes, that was another exciting adventure of Captain Webb here on WHIW Binghamton, which taught us all a valuable lesson. That lesson, of course, being make sure you're in a well-ventilated area when you're using toxic chemicals with noxious fumes and noisome smells. It's very dangerous to inhale those things, don't you know? Now you do. This is this day in history on WHIW Binghamton. But stick around. There's more. I'm Rory Sinjin with Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. And there's more to the story of this Captain Webb than you realize. Yes, in fact, he did die of those noxious odors in that enclosed space, but his body was found shortly thereafter by his superhero compatriots, and in fact, they had a little funeral for him. But what they didn't realize was that Bishop No Ventilation had set up that funeral home and had blocked off all the ventilation, and they were all in the room with Captain Webb's dead body, and, you know, they were pumping in all sorts of things, like more very, very strong epoxy that they were using to glue Captain Webb's body to the coffin that he was in, and there was no ventilation because of Bishop No Ventilation. And so all of those heroes, Young Yeoman Shield, for example, and the Iron Helmsman and Poop Deck Twelve Who Can Fly, they all grew very hazy and Yeoman Shield threw his shield at the Iron Helmsman and the Iron Helmsman fell over on top of Poop Deck Swabber Who Could Fly and he was unable to fly away in time because he was so dizzy and so he got smushed. And of course, once the odors reached the Atomic Oarsman, the entire place just went up in a giant explosion and they all died. As you can see, if you're a superhero, you really have to know this, that you should not be in an enclosed space with these noxious chemicals. But if you're a regular person, it goes, same for you, you might not blow things up with your atomic powers but you, you could die. My name is Rory Sinjin, and this is Well, Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. Wonderful. That was great. That was great. Um, what do you guys think? What do you guys think? Yeah, it was good. You know, it was fine. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad you like it. Even Frank liked it. You see that, Rory? You're doing good work now. Frank is even enjoying it, and he doesn't even like anything you ever do ever. Well, that, that is good. That does make me feel very good, actually. I, I, I feel um, very confident. Good, good. Um, Escape, in fact. Uh, Escape, you wanted to have a part where you sing, right? Oh, yeah. I want to sing. Well, how about this sounds like a good time for you to sing. Okay. What should I sing? Well, that was about the superhero Captain Webb. Do you want to sing the Everybody Knows the Famous Captain Webb animated series theme song? Oh, sure. I could sing that. Hum, hum, hum. Captain Webb! Better look out, Captain Webb! There is no doubt in your web-like substance the criminal snared So you can just dance and they can get scared. Captain Webb! Swim the channel! Captain Webb! Wearing flannel! You're gonna string them up and string them around the subject of this awesome song, Captain Webb! Yeah! Good. Excellent, excellent, Scape. Very well done. <laughs> yes. Nice. yes. Good boy. So, you see, Rory, everybody is uh, gathering to support you. We all think you did a great job today. Everybody had a great time with your This Day in History. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I, I, like I said, it does take my mind off my troubles doing my historical research. I very much enjoy it. And uh, if anybody is still interested in me doing uh, historical readings for them, extra historical readings, I should say, they can contact me at castandwaxgmail.com. And I have very reasonable prices. Uh, and I'm very good at my job. Oh, uh, yeah. Frank, uh, yeah, he is good at his job, right? Right, no, you're right. Excellent, excellent. What do we have next? Looks like we have, so oh, speaking of Frank Allen, we have an episode of Tractor Fiction next, correct? Yes, that we do, that we do. Um, this is an episode called The Contract. It involves uh, people selling their soul to the devil. Uh, the true facts behind that, uh, supposedly, will decide in the, in the debate whether or not they're true for once and for all. Here we go, let's get right to it. <laughs> Everybody, you're listening to WHRW Binghamton, and I do just want to say a couple of tiny things before we get started on Tractor Fiction this week. Uh, first of all, I want to let you know that this program may contain language and material that may be considered offensive. The views expressed are those of the uh, engineer and his guests and may not be 
uh, represent the views of the management or of other WHSW station members. Therefore, we advise you to carefully consider whether you or your children should listen. Can you tell everybody a public service announcement for me? Just an important public service announcement. Um, smoking it bad. It, smoking is bad. Yes, I, I know how to speak. It is. Um, it can cause cancer, I believe. Yes, it can. And it also can cause emphysema. And yes, I'm looking at you. Yes, you. All right, so, uh, this episode of Tractor Fiction is called The Contract. It was the middle of the night, and John Freeman, a farming man, was sleeping so soundly he didn't notice the roaring rumble coming from the outdoors. His crippled son hobbled into the room with a lantern, waking him. Father, father, what's that noise? Uh, Oh, oh, faith and begora, that sounds like hell. John threw open the windows, revealing the truth. it is hell. Oh, blast it. My corpse are gone. I mean, my crops are gone. I've been crushed. The next morning, John and his <coughs> gimpy son looked over the damage done. Oh, everything's gone, Lord. We're ruined. What, what are we going to do? Oh, maybe if we can borrow from the bank. Oh, don't you know? We're in deep trouble, me boy. That afternoon, John went to the bank to request a loan. <laughs> More money? <laughs> You already have a loan that you can't pay back. Is it my fault that you ruined your crop? <laughs> the bank will own your farm in just a few days. You're out of luck, John Freeman. Next week I want you and that crippled boy horse off our property. Understand? <laughs> oh, faith and begore in the Irish Isle. If I ever get the chance, old banker man, I'll fix you for this. I hate the grandy walk on in me mugs. So what most people do, but I don't get paid for being loved. So take your worthless hide out of here and don't come back. <laughs> back at the farm, Freeman is seething while a stranger passes by. Oh, vomitous son of the Perston Welsh shall sell me soul if I can keep at this farm. Hmm, that's music to my ears, John Freeman. I? Fox is my name, B. Fox. Allow me to shake hands with a wealthy man. Oh, faith and begora, ye must be crazy. I'm as poor as a church mouse or an Englishman. I'm not crazy, Mr. Freeman. You don't know it, but you're sitting on a fortune. Let me explain. I brought a map showing where treasure is buried on your property. If you sign this contract, we can split it half and half. Oh, I'd be for that. There's just one little hitch. It's really unimportant, but after you die, I get your soul. Me soul? Ha, ha, ha. Big joke. Like a pint of Guinness in the cold. Okay, you get me soul, devil. Where do I sign? No, Mr. Freeman, you sign this contract with your blood. He is crazy. John pricks his finger on a finger pricker Ah! and uses it to put an X on the paper. Very nicely done, sir. Now, the treasure should be 15 paces west of this old tree stump. They walk the distance and Fox looks on while Freeman digs for the treasure. How are we doing, partner? I believe I hit something. Oh, me gorsling, this there, it's an old metal box. Doesn't look like cereal, but let me just get this open. Wahoo! <laughs> we're rich. Look at all these lucky charms. Yes, indeed. Now, don't you have a promise to keep? What promise? You promised to fix bugs. No! I've got a plan. Soon, Freeman stands out on Main Street outside of the bank, bulging bags full of treasures slung over each shoulder. A crowd gathers around, and soon the bank manager comes to see what the commotion is. What's all this, then? 
I do say that I'd like to put all this stuff in your bank, but I can't. Good heavens, why not? Because Mr. Boggs, your Welshman, there told me never to come back in here again. Boggs, did you say that to Mr. Freeman? I'm sorry the actor playing Boggs has been sacked. For the remainder of this tract, I will be playing Boggs. Well, er, yes, sir. You are the weakest link. Get out. But, sir, well, will I go? What can I do? I'm too old. <coughs> That's your I mean, pr- I'm too old. That's your problem, Boggs. I should have used Irish Spring. There's nothing like revenge. Two weeks later, John Freeman visits his cousin, Bob Good, and tells him about his good luck. John, you said you signed a contract in blood, and this guy gets your soul? Yes. You fool. Do you have any idea what you've done? First of all, that's a terrible accent. Second of all, I don't care how much money you've got. I'd never be so stupid. Your soul is priceless. You know I've always been a God-fearing man, John. I believe in the Ten Commandments. I do as much good as possible, and I avoid all forms of evil. And what does the B stand for in B-Fox, anyway? No faith in Begora and the Emerald Island that stands for b Bob. Okay. Really need to stop that accent. You quivering nitwit! Beelzebub is the name of Satan, Lord of Flies, and Deception, and such. Freeman, you'll never get out of that contract. You're doomed to hell. That, that's doomed to hell. Ten years later, John Freeman's farmhouse has been converted into a huge mansion with every luxury he could want. Shamrock shakes for all! He, however, is ill and bedridden while a doctor attends to him. <coughs> I'm sorry, John, but you have about four weeks to live. Oh, God! Doctor, this time goes so fast. Now I'm doomed to hell to listen to Riverdance me whole eternity. Lord, what have I done? I've been a fool. What have you done? I signed a contract with the devil. He gets me soul. It doesn't work that way, John. The devil is a created being with limited power, but Jesus Christ is God Almighty with unlimited power. Jesus loves you. That's why he came to earth to die on the cross to wash away your sins with his precious blood. Christ wants to set you free by coming into your heart. If you let him in, then that power is yours. The Bible says, greater is he, Christ, that is in you than he, Satan, that is in the world. So there is a way out without making potato salad. Absolutely. John, turn away from your sins and ask Jesus to come into your heart. He will save you from hell and take you to heaven. Oh, then I will. I will, Lord. Take me by the hand. One week later, John Freeman gathers up his weak carcass and hobbles over to his cousin Bob Good's house. (coughs) John, what are you doing? And what's this carcass doing here? I have some wonderful news uh, to share with you. You look awful. But listen to potatoes. An hour later... Look, look, just stop preaching to me, John. (laughs) I don't need it. You sound like a fanatic with that ridiculous accent. (laughs) God will weigh my good deeds against my bad and will welcome me into heaven. I don't need what you've got. I'll make it my way. Not so long after John passes on (gasps) and at his funeral... John is now safe in the arms of Jesus. Baloney. He's in hell. He couldn't get out of that contract. When the funeral ended, a gentle rain began falling as Bob got in his carriage for the ride home. Soon the rain rose to an angry storm. I'm so angry! It's really starting to rain. Giddy up! Yeah! Look at that lightning! And with a mighty crash, the lightning struck a tree on the roadside, splintering off a huge branch, which fell atop the carriage and smushed the life out of good old Bobby Good. Before he could say gyroscopes, he found himself in hell. This 
This is insane. Why am I here? This is not Disneyland. Who are you? B Fox is the name. This will be your new home. Forever! Who all is in this place? Well, except for the little children and that other group. I've got everybody. The rich and poor, the atheists and the religious, the filthy, and lots of good living people like yourself. Isn't that a surprise? Wow, yeah. Sheesh. Um... Wait, so, um, my cousin must have come through here a few hours ago, right? John Freeman, kind of tall guy, funny accent? Wrong! John is in heaven. He slipped out of my hands, but it was close. But, but, the contract. I didn't have a contract with you. You can't get my soul. You fool! I don't need a contract. I've got everybody anyway. Except those who accepted Christ as their savior. Oh, poop. And that's the end of, uh, the contract, as they, as they call it in the contractual business. All right. And now on to the, uh, debate, the debatatory <coughs> debate that we always debate at, uh, Tractor Fiction. We, we have, of course, uh, as always, two debaters, just, uh, they're different debaters this time than they were last time, of course, different people entirely, as always. Uh, debater number one is now coming out of the debatatorium. All right, debater number one, what's your name, sir? Hello, I'm Mr. Fat. Mr. Fat, nice to meet you, uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's good to have you here. Uh, who's, uh, debater number two? Debater number two, yes, what's your name? I am the great and powerful Wizard of Oz! Oh, the Wizard of Oz. So we got Mr. Fat and the Wizard of Oz. Indeed. All right, let's, uh, let's see, let's get right to it, and we'll see who is, uh, for this tract and who's against it. Oh, it turns out, surprise of surprise, the Wizard of Oz says that this tract is true. The great and powerful Wizard of Oz great, says this tract is true. Both the great Oz and the powerful Oz and the Wizard of Oz all say, all that, three. All say that it's true, uh, while Mr. <laughs> Fat says... Says, says, uh, uh, malarkey. <clears throat> Mr. Fat, uh, tell us why this is malarkey. Well, I'll tell you why it's on malarkey. See, I sold my soul for 300 pounds of chicken. And what did the devil do? He gave me ham. I can't eat ham. It's too salty. So, okay, so you're saying that your basis is that this is... It's a lie. It's a lie. The devil doesn't give what he wants to give. He doesn't give what he wants to give? That's right. He doesn't give what I ask for. I ask for chicken and give me ham. So, but but here's the question. Do you feel that because you made that contract, you're automatically damned to hell? And there's nothing you can do about it? No, I can get out of it. How? Same way I get out of paying for meals. What's that? I eat the damn bread. Up. You you eat the place up? Indeed, I eat them at a house and restaurant. So you're going to eat at hell? Indeed, I'll eat all the brimstone I've got eat. Oh, all right, all right, Mr. Fat, all right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mr. Somebody Mr. Oz. Somebody get me a bucket. I'm going to throw up. Mr. Oz. The great and powerful Wizard of Oz is a little weirded out. He needs a minute. All Whoa. right. <laughs> okay. The great and powerful Wizard of Oz is totally willing to accept this tract at face value. Clearly this fat person man is incapable of conquering the devil. Because I've got diabetes. Oh, please. You could not. You, you probably couldn't even stand up, could you? Seriously. Stand up right now. I need a stool. There you go. Something with wheels. Okay, you're not going to conquer the adversary. The Morning Star. The one who got thrown out of heaven because he almost overthrew the supreme being when you can't stand up. I washed myself with a rag on a stick. I'm impressed. So you're talking about you're talking about Mr. Fox. Hmm? Mr. Fox from the tract is going to defeat him. Somebody me to dinner? Mr. Be- uh, Beelzebub Fox. Oh, Fox. I thought you said fat. Yeah. He's pretty badass. <laughs> Only the great and powerful Oz could possibly defeat him. Wait, wait, wait. Maybe also God. So you're, you're saying that you could get out of the contract then, Oz? 
Probably, yeah. Okay. I could eat you. If you could stand up. With challenge. <laughs> All right, we do have an expert here. Glad. We do have an expert here who wants to put in their, their two cents. Yeah, hi. My name's like Stacy, and I'm actually kind of fat, and I actually kind of have diabetes. And I think that this is a really, really heinous reflection of our society that we make fun of people because they're fat and have diabetes. Are you bulimic? I was. And then I decided not to throw up. I decided to keep it all in. Then I made a deal with the devil for 300 pounds of chicken. Okay, sir. Sir, just back away. You smell horrible. How could he possibly back away uh, when Mr. he can't stand? Actually, Roll him down, Mr. Hell! Mr. Fat, Mr. Fat. Great Oz has spoken. Mr. Fat, I think your microphone might be off. Can you check there? Somebody fix one, but there we go. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, all right, so I have a question for... Uh, actually, I believe um, this kind of is relevant. We actually brought one of the characters in from the tract um, oh, to, to speak about God, but since he is a doctor, he might want to say something about about Mr. Fat and what he should do with his life. I, I don't know. I mean, doctor? Seek help. You, you need a lot of help. I'll tell you what, doctor. I'll go on Murray Povich or some other show, and people will get sympathy for me because I weigh so much and I don't have a life. And then people will send me money and Richard Simmons will come out. Um, look. Where's my cake? Oh, excuse me. I've got something to say on this issue. Oh, who we got here? Yes. I'm Star Jones and I am a lawyer. Oh, sorry. And legally speaking, uh, Mr. John was in breach of his contract with Mr. Fox. And yet, for some reason, he didn't lose the money. He didn't lose the money afterwards. Why is that? I am a lawyer. I went to law school. Oh, you did? Oh. End of story. Because he was dead. And because he accepted Jesus. Star, you're pretty hefty too. I can put you on my program and get you two hundred more pounds of happiness. Look, uh, I don't recommend. I don't recommend having give anybody else taking this diet. It's really annoying. Have to grease the doors. Uh, and we did already for Mr. Fat, but but it's so good and tasty. Don't eat the doors. Oh God. Well, now I can get through again too. All right. I don't understand how he's still alive. Seriously, yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe you should. Try talking to the devil. Wait, is that a seam I see? I don't think he's really that fat. I think there's somebody hiding inside. Wait, of it. wait a minute. Is that a is that a fat suit? I think that's what just the a fat hey, suit. hey, sorry. Oh. I just wanted attention. All my life, I felt like nobody appreciated me. I tried being gay and going to a gay club. Nobody liked me. I tried being a female. I tried being a, a lawyer and a doctor. I even tried being a civil service worker. I am a lawyer. Are, is I your name really in the sewers? Is your name really fat? Yes. Well, that's a coincidence. And no one likes a, a skinny, skinny man whose name is Fat. Wow. I've tried everything. No one accepts me. Speaking of the sympathy vote, let's find out. The, let's see if the sympathy vote gave him the, the, the debate. Let's find out. Oh, sorry. Turns out every, the, the, the judge of fate who flipped the coin uh, didn't like you and thought you were r- rude to lie. Oz, uh, barring any, any secrets that you might share about be, who you really are. Huh? The great and powerful <laughs> Oz has no secrets. Then you win. Uh, so, uh, congratulations. This track is... How about uh, which behind, behind is goes the show. You should never pay attention to the guy behind the fat suit. Where the hell? Where the hell? All right. Uh, I don't know what's going on. Excuse me, Mr. Oz. If, if you have no secrets, who are you? I am the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. Check your ears. What's your middle name? Apparently... Powerful. And powerful. Yeah. And powerful? Okay. Is that hyphenated or... No! You fool. There's a space. Was your, was your father's name and powerful? Is that why? No! Oh. It was my mother's 
maiden name. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Mrs. An Ms. Ann Sweet, powerful. what's your credit card number? Then I can do fraud. <laughs> all right, all right. The um, great and powerful Oz needs no credit card. So congratulations, Mr. Oz. Uh, yes, thank you. It's good to have honest people on the show once in a while. Of course. So I'm glad that you're, uh, glad that you're here. Yes, thanks. That episode of Tractor Fiction featured the voice talents of Frank Allen, Rich Bellin, Scott Finbo, Lynn Nelson, Magdalena Richards, Daniel Schwartz, Samuel Thomason, Angela Tyman, Devin White, and Jordan D. White. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very much. I played uh, the devil in that one. I love playing that devil character. Now, hold on. Was that a character? Or I thought I thought that was the devil because we had him on the show one time. No, that yeah, you're right. Uh, we did. Uh, it's What it is is that that's the way the devil really sounds, or at least that devil really sounds. And um, that I was doing an impression of him. So, oh, okay. Can you can you can you demonstrate your impression? Oh, sure, sure. Uh, what do you want me to say? Have him say something really embarrassing, like something the devil would never really want to say. So it's funny and and and. But won't he get mad at me? Well, maybe, but just you know, do it. Uh, have him say like, uh, have him say uh, he likes. Uh, have him say he likes wearing pink panties. Are you sure I should do that? Yeah, why not? What's the what's the risk? Do it. All right. Hello, B. Fox is the name, and I like to wear little pink panties. <laughs> That's good. That's a good impression. Yes, it, it sounds very much like him. It really does. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think it Have does. him say something else. Have him say, um, uh, have him say, I recommend Roy Sinjin for all your extra historical needs. I, why would you want the devil's support on that? Well, just, no, it's, it's, it's but it's, I just, I think it would be funny to hear, hear him say that. So. Hello, B. Fox is the name, and I recommend Mr. Rory Sinjin for all your extra historical needs. <laughs> That's good. That's good. It sounds a lot like him. It really does. Oh, absolutely. I, I wish I could get the real man saying that. My name's B. Fox, and I want to eat your soul. <laughs> I would kill you and cut off your tongue and swallow it myself. <laughs> that's, that's less pleasant, Jordan. I don't know if I'm as into that. Yes, it's a little frightening, actually. Well, that's too bad. Perhaps I'm not Jordan anymore. Perhaps the real B. Fox has possessed him as he channeled his spirit. Is Is that what's happening, or...? Is it true? I, I don't think that could be true. It doesn't sound like it's possible. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But now I shall bid you adieu. You may have your Jordan back. <laughs> <laughs> What's so funny? Why am I laughing? I don't even know why I was laughing. Uh, that was a little weird. Yes, it sort of was. Uh, let's move on with the rest of the show, shall we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We don't want to have too much uh, too much time on the show. Um, what's up next? Oh, we have a Frank Allen interview. The very first Frank Allen interview back. Frank, right? You said you've got a supervillain for us, right? Yes, yes, that I do. It's very exciting. I have a supervillain interview. Great, great. Because uh, we don't have an episode of Guard Duty, so I'm assuming you got one of the members of the Vengeance Squad, right? Well, who'd you get? Suspiria. I, I would imagine Suspiria is the best because she's the, the leader, and she likes promoting herself, so she probably would would agree to it, right? Uh well. Uh, no, I mean that's good to know. I'll I'll try to get in touch with her, but that's not who I was going to interview. No, I uh, no, what, no, not one of the Vengeance Squad. No, oh, is it? No, maybe one of the other sysops or somebody. No, it wasn't even someone from Guard Duty. I I didn't. I got, I mean, I, yeah, that's probably a good idea, but I didn't. Oh, well, then who did you get? What supervillain is there that you got uh, from from earlier in the show? Captain Captain Webb's enemy, uh, uh, Admiral in Close Space. Oh, is he? Is he like a, a a serious villain? I thought that was like a joke. Well, I mean, no, he's a, well, you'll see. I mean, he is a serious villain, so. Okay, good. Well, good. Hey, you know, Rory, see, see, Frank likes what you're doing so much. He talked to one of the, the people from your. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's great. I, I'm, I'm very happy to, to uh, make everyone else's show ex exciting as well. Yes. Yeah. Well, okay, let's get right to it. Frank Allen Interviews. Starring Frank Allen. 
Hello, and welcome back to Frank Allen Interviews uh, with your host, Frank Allen, which is me. We're back after a, uh, a short break um, in which some other interviews were filling in and they weren't as good. But don't worry, uh, now Frank Allen is here to show you how interviews are done. Uh, now, to start us off, I've got a very special guest. Uh, you just heard about him earlier in the episode from This Day in History. We have an exclusive interview with supervillain Admiral Enclosed Space. Admiral, welcome. Thank you, Frank Allen, for welcoming to your show. As you may have noticed, we're already in an enclosed space. Yeah, I tend to do uh, my interviews in a studio, uh, four walls, ceiling, floor. Just clever of me enough to sneak you into this enclosed space under the pretext of an interview. Now you're here, we'll see if you ever get out. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I could, but I want to finish the interview first, so. Right. Okay. So, t uh, this is fascinating to me. You're obsessed with enclosed spaces. I mean, uh, there are a lot of, you know, theme villains in the world. I mean, uh, you know, you got the Riddler who does riddles. Catwoman tends to, you know, cat crimes, uh, things like that. I've never heard of a villain who whose theme is enclosed spaces. What does that entail? Well, it's very simple, Frank. There are two kinds of spaces. Open spaces and closed spaces. Every Everybody has to choose whether to be one or another at one point in time. Well, I said to myself, what if I could disrupt? human events by enclosing things that people usually want to be open, like oceans. Alright, but what's the benefit to you? Like, what, what do you get out of it? Do you do you get money? Is there some sort of uh, power to be gained? Well, yes, I think there's an element of power and dominance over whoever I'm enclosing. For instance, if I enclosed the sky, they would be like a big box with lots of airplanes in it, and I would be in control over all the people in the airplanes. Plus, I'm just not that nice a guy. I'm a supervillain. Like, a villain, but even more so. Just that much more of a jerk. No, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm very intrigued by this concept of a box with the sky in it. I, I guess the only way to... Have you done this before? Because I guess the only way I can think to do that would be like... Uh, a layer of something surrounding the Earth, and then another layer surrounding that even further. But it's not really much of a box. It's more like a double a double box around the Earth. I don't even know what that means. Well, just imagine any open space, like a field or a plane. The other kind of plane. I mean, not an airplane. And just imagine it's closed in, like in a box. Like, look up at the sky. Imagine instead of the sky, it's like the wall of a box, and you're closed in, and you can't get out! I, I, I'm a little confused. It doesn't seem like it benefits you. It kind of sounds like you're you're like a uh, it's like you're a real estate developer, but you're not making any money off of it. I I don't know understand why. It seems like if you just did it for money, you could do the same thing and be rich. Well, that's kind of my job as a villain. I, I have to defeat uh, uh, any hero who might go up against me if, if if one of them should decide to do that. I have lots of evil plans. I'm about to to, to commit to to bring into action like. Uh, like closing in a, a big open field somewhere. Well, isn't that just like building a building in an open field? Exactly. That's my plan, and I'm going to do it unless somebody stops me. And if anyone does try to stop me, I'll lock them in a closet. No, but what I'm saying is instead of building a building and closing a field that people don't want you to enclose, you could find one where they do want you to, and you could build that building, and they would give you money. Don't you see? That would just be playing into their goody-two-shoes hands. I'm Admiral and 
closed space and I get up everybody's craw. And if they try to stop me, I'll put them in a coffin or something. You mean you'd kill them? No, I just put them in a coffin. See, I, I'm a villain. I, I, I don't really have anything more than that. I'm a lot of people I know think I'm kind of superficial, but I don't think there's such thing as a superficial person. Do you? <laughs> well, I have, I have a question, actually. Uh, what, where did, what, what navy did you get your admiralty in? I mean, is there, is there a supervillain navy, or is it actually like an enclosed space-themed navy? But you have to be so goddamn inquisitive. It's a self-appointed title because I'm the kind of guy that would do that. So you're not an admiral. Well, I, I call myself one. But there's nobody who takes orders from you, basically. Though my lackeys and thugs do. <laughs> or would. If I had them. So you don't have any lackeys or thugs? Not at the moment. There's not really anybody to pit my wits against. Look, I think, seriously, your problem here is a couple of fold. First of all, you're you're not doing anything that gets you any money. So if you were doing something like saying, I'm going to box in, you know, the White House unless you pay me money, that would be good and you'd get money. Second of all, if you just, like I said, instead of building things where people don't want you to build things, just build them for money. Then you've got money. A, that's good for you. B, then you can pay lackeys and thugs, everybody benefits. It's like a trickle-down evil. You just don't get it, do you, Alan? Then I would just be an extremely capable construction worker and very successful. Where's the downside? I don't, I'm not seeing the downside. But there are a lot of heroes I could be defeating. You could be... You could be... Making more money than those heroes. Isn't that a, a type of defeat? Yes, but it's it, it's not very destructive. Like, imagine something big and open that people like. I could close it in and, and make them claustrophobic. And the heroes would have to try and stop me. And maybe I'd win. That evil would have triumphed. But it seems like it's a lot easier to unenclose something than it is to, well, even to enclose something. I mean, if you put up a building, all they have to do is tear it down. It's done. Well, yeah. But, um, uh, I, 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 I mean, why would you want to do that? I just built it to, to, for evil. Well, like I said, if you, if you stop building for evil and start building for money, everybody benefits. Look, I picked this theme for evil, and everyone told me it was stupid, and then I enclosed the goddamn Atlantic Ocean. That's a big ocean. Who else has done that? Well, let me ask you this. Uh, I don't really understand how you enclosed it, but in, in a way, it seems like it's already enclosed. I mean, on every side of it, there's land. Yeah. So it's in a sense, it's not really an, an open space. I, I mean, even like a field. If it's a field, then that implies that there is something on every side of it that isn't a field, which means in a sense, it's already enclosed. Well, 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 well look, there's, there's lots of things I can enclose and it could be dangerous because maybe no air would get in and it would suffocate. And, and it, look, I'm a dangerous guy. I'm, I'm tough and I'm dangerous and nobody can stop me because I'll put them in a box of some kind or a closet or maybe a phone book. <laughs> They'd be able to call for help, though. And I got the wire! And why put them in the phone booth? Because it's an enclosed space. It's like a, a theme. I, I do things with enclosed spaces. For like, like, if there was a hero that that wanted to stop me, I would fight him. All right. Well, how about this? Why don't you work on sealing the entire planet in enclosed in all sides by a vacuum? I think somebody did that. It's the that's the way it came. Well, then what what more could you possibly do? It seems like your job is done. Who? I I, I just want to fight a superhero like. Captain Webb 
was okay for a couple minutes. But now he's dead. Yeah. And nobody else seems to be, be even willing to bother. I, you just don't seem that dangerous. Well, I could... Listen up, heroes of the world. I could enclose you in, a, in an enclosed space and shoot you. All right. Uh, actually, I have uh, one one uh, little thing here. Tell you what. I'll work out a deal with you, all right? Yeah. I'll uh, find uh, plots of land where people really don't want enclosed spaces, especially not really nice houses. And and then you can terrorize them by putting them up. How does that sound? And I'll work as like your, your book, your booking. I'll find the places that really don't want it. I mean, they really don't want it. And I'll get you nice plans and you can, uh, you can put them up. This sounds like some kind of plot. I'm all for it. If only we could hold something for ransom, too. <laughs> well, we'll tell them we'll keep making these houses until they stop us. Is somebody going to try and stop us? We'll never know until we try. What's your supervillain name? Um, I don't know. I can be, uh, the, the Hit Mansion. All right. Listen up, heroes of the world. This is Admiral Enclosed Space and the Hit Mansion. And we're going to build enclosed spaces all over our open fields and plains. For very affordable prices. And you'll have to pay us money if you want to own them. So you'll have the legal right to tear them down. <laughs> so unless some hero stops us, you're going to have enclosed spaces all over your... Beautiful fields. Contact us at castingwax at gmail.com to tell us what lots you really, really, really don't want your houses in. <laughs> Thank you very much. This has been a wonderful episode of Frank Allen Interviews. And uh, get in touch with us, seriously. We'll make some houses. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, that was an informative interview, I guess. Uh, wh what was that bit at the end there, Frank? Were you tr are you trying to do like a, a housing scheme or something? No, no, it's totally serious. He, uh, people who don't want uh, enclosed space on on a, a property, they they they'll have to pay us money once we've put up houses where they don't want them, so that they can have the right to get rid of them. Yeah, I think you, but you're trying to get money to build. No, it's 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 just like Admiral Enclosed Space says, who is listening to the podcast, Jordan, because he knew he was on it. It's just like he said, if people are talking about places they don't want a house, we'll put one there. Right. Right, of course. Uh, oh, that's sneaky. That's underhanded. Yes, it's very underhanded. I would like to be involved in that, actually, if at all possible. Uh, to, I would love to put houses where people don't want them for a percentage of that. No need, Rory, no need, because we have got that covered. Yeah, but I'm just saying, if you need any extra historical backing... We don't need that. Um, I've got it handled. But you can, again, like he said, castandwax at gmail.com. Yes, okay, enough of the advertising of that for purposes other than, you know, talking about the show. Speaking of the show, we've got another part of the show next. Uh, we are going to now hear the very first episode of the second season of Decker and Hayes. As you may remember, in the last episode of the first season of Decker and Hayes, Macy went to jail. Well, everybody wanted to continue the series after that, so I brought him back, even though she's in jail. Here is the first episode written by Miss Lynn Nelson. Season 2, Episode 1, Dreaming of Babylon, by Lynn Nelson. Babylon, the garbage disposal in the broken-down tenement that was Parlor Town. This drab, gray building was heavily lined in barbed wire and housed the most depraved of the depraved. Rapists, child molesters, drug lords, 
murderers, and now detectives. Macy Hayes was half of Parlotown's only true savior, the Decker and Hayes Detective Agency. At the end of her last case, Macy had shot a man out of revenge, and incidentally, in the interest of justice. Rather than delve into the sordid past that had brought her to that point, Macy accepted the charges facing her, and made the doomed journey to Babylon. She'd spent the last 550 days behind its bars, knitting, furiously. If there was one thing to be said about Macy, she brought color to Parlor Town, even to its prison. She made potholders, oven mitts, coasters, things Stella would never use. She had sent each one home with a letter telling Stella that she would use them when she returned, and Stella had lovingly placed each one in the cupboard in the kitchen. She'd gotten used to tying her own tie each morning, and ignoring the voice in her head that reminded her of Macy's sentence. Twenty-five to life. Cold-blooded murder. Vengeance and rage at their peak in Parlor Town. Even the crime fighters are falling prey. But Macy made her way, concentrating on her knit, pearl, knit, pearl, and Stella tightened the knots and straightened the ties, and neither of them broke the optimistic tone of Macy's letters. Business hadn't been extraordinarily good for Stella, but what else was new? She'd picked up a few cases in the last year and a half, and she had the help of some close friends. Tommy Potsdam, her skinny, effeminate secretary, had been beefing up with Tybo classes and avoiding women since being poisoned and double-crossed by his last girlfriend. Julian McGinnis, a fellow detective and sometimes rival, was offering moral support and the occasional extra right hook, in between dates with people far too beautiful for him. Sitting at her desk in her office, Stella was absentmindedly playing with one of Macy's coasters when her intercom buzzed suddenly and nearly knocked her off her chair. Miss Decker, a man here to see you. Stella put the coaster in a drawer and pressed the button on her intercom. Tell him I don't swing that way, kid. The door between Stella's office and the lobby opened gently, and a slim, blonde man in his mid-thirties slid around it. He was dressed in a well-fitting black suit and carried a briefcase. He spoke in a smooth, friendly tone from the door. This is hardly a marriage proposal. May I? Stella raised a brow, but motioned him to the chair in front of her desk. The man closed the door quietly, walked over to the desk, and offered his hand to Stella. Her intercom buzzed again. He's a tad persistent, Miss Decker. Thanks, Tommy. Derek Washburn. Stella remained seated, but shook his hand firmly. Stella Decker. The man took a seat in the chair, his legs together, his briefcase on his lap. He nervously fingered the latches on the case, and shifted his eyes from Stella to her desk, and back again. So, why are you avoiding the fuzz, Mr. Washburn? I'm... I'm sorry? It's a joke, sir. Usually when a client comes to me, there's a reason they can't go to the police... Or perhaps the police aren't very affected, though. You didn't hear that from me. Far be it from me to joke in such serious times, though. So what seems to be the problem? (laughs) Oh, of course. Well, I suppose I'll get right to it, then. Derek spun some dials on his briefcase, opened both latches, and balanced it precariously open on his lap. He shifted nervously through his papers and talked in a business-like manner into his case. My son has been kidnapped. He is six years old. He has been missing for two weeks. Derek produced a four-by-six color photo of a small, blonde boy and handed it across the desk. Stella accepted the photo and looked it over. 
The boy was in denim overalls and a blue and white striped shirt. He had a big grin on his face. I take it you really didn't go to the police. Derek then produced from his briefcase an eight and a half by eleven piece of printed paper. On the paper were cut and pasted words from various magazines. Daniel is safe, but not for long. He likes to sing a very sad song. He really misses good old pops, but he'll cry if you call the cops. One million dollars, one month's time. The punishment must fit the crime. I see. I couldn't call the police. Danny's life is at risk. But you chose to contact me. Aren't you afraid that they'll know that? I had to do something. Besides, I trust you ladies. I've heard very good things. And I trust a former agent to treat this properly. Will you and Miss Hayes take the case? You're my only hope. You realize this, of course. Stella looked the young man up and down. He had closed his expensive briefcase, smoothed his expensive suit, crossed his legs and revealed his expensive, well-polished shoes. Where did you say you were from, Mr. Washburn? Why, Parlotown, of course. I'm from here. You must live on the edge of town, then. Yes, of course. Stella paused for a few moments, her eyes mesmerized by the reflective power of his leather-bound toes. She looked him in the eye. I will require an upfront fee as well as provisions. You understand this? Yes, of course. Good. See Mr. Potsdam at the desk out there about finances. Derek got up, grinning like a kid, and shook Stella's hand heartily. I can't thank you enough, Miss Decker, and please pass that on to Miss Hayes. Is she out to lunch? We'll be in touch, Mr. Washburn. Stella pushed the button on her intercom. Hey, kid. Hetero coming your way. Draw him up some papers, will ya? Righto, Miss Decker. Meanwhile, Macy was starting a set of placemats when a guard appeared outside her cell. Got a visitor, young lady. The guard led Macy out and escorted her to a small room with several tables. A few of them were occupied by prisoners and family. At a corner table sat a stocky man in a crisp suit. At his side stood a slim, dark-haired woman in an equally crisp, though more fashionable, suit. They both sported name tags on their left lapels, and the woman smiled brightly when Macy approached the table. Oh my god, Lexi? Excuse me, Alexis. God, I never thought I'd see you again. Listen... I can't hug you or anything, but... She motioned to the guard, standing watch at the door. But have a seat. Well, gee, you're all dolled up, and I haven't even had time to do my hair. You haven't changed a bit, Macy. God, how long has it been? Twelve years. Uh, Macy, this is Matthew Landsberg. He's the head of our organization now. Macy looked over the unfamiliar man with the chunky gold ring on his left hand. A class ring of some sort? She couldn't see. But it was ugly. And she didn't like it. She didn't remember the name or the face at all. Twelve years, huh? That's a long time. Your girls must be really big by now. High school. They think that they're adults. Uh, but they still sleep with the blankets that you knitted them. Well, this is sweet, girls, but... Miss Grayson, you and I have business, and I'm sure Miss Hayes will want to get back to... darning her socks or what have you. I'm sorry, what did you say your name was? Matthew Landsberg, Macy. It's okay, we're here to help. We'd like to talk to you about your days in Russia, Miss Hayes. Specifically, about information you sent to us from Russia, and... One of the pudgy man's eyebrows raised itself, and his oily, thick lips drew themselves into a knowing smirk. About information you didn't send to us from Russia. 
What is this? Please, Miss Hayes. We're offering you a chance at freedom here. Just how exactly do you plan to do that? I assume you've been keeping up with the news? I'm a cold-blooded killer, Mr. Landsberg, and no amount of gold on your fingers can change that fact, sir. The guard appeared at the table, straightening Macy's shoulders. Keep it so we can hear it, sweet cheeks. The guard returned to the door, and Matthew Landsberg continued, unfazed. Now is not the time for games, Miss Hayes. I don't think you have to search your memory very hard to figure out just what it is we're discussing here. The very important information we received from you while you were in Russia has now, 12 years later, proven to be insufficient. As a result, lives are at stake. Important lives. This is big, Miss Hayes. My offer is as follows. You give me enough information to satisfy me, and you get to leave this prison. That seems a little too easy. They told me you were sharp. Funny, they told me nothing about you. You prove to me that I can trust you, that you're in this, and I'll get you out of here. You will be released into our custody until the matter is settled. During this time, you will help me deal with the information you originally withheld, and you will try not to kill anyone in the process. That is, you will try not to kill anyone unnecessarily, and if you do have to kill someone, you will try not to get caught. You help me and keep yourself clean, and you're a free woman. Macy maintained a cold, distant stare that slid back and forth between the fat man and her former partner. Let me talk to my attorney. She was out the door. She was escorted back to the cell she shared with three other women. She stood on the inside of the sliding door for a minute after the guard had locked it. She drank in the sight. Three other women in matching gray suits, lounging uncomfortably in their standard-issue bunk beds. In the bed above hers was a woman who'd shot her husband and his girlfriend when she found them in bed together. In the top bunk on the other side of the cell was a large-scale coke dealer, and below her a woman who'd shot her girlfriend, also over an affair. They were all reading fashion magazines or Home and Garden, and they were the best friends Macy could have found in her predicament. She sighed and settled into knitting in her bunk. It was stiflingly hot, and this wasn't exactly our five-star penitentiary so everyone tried to move as little as possible. After dinner, the guard returned. Yo, Miss Congeniality, you've got another friend. Jesus, what now? She was escorted to the same table. Still! Hey, Mace, how are they treating you in here, huh? Oh, they've been leaving me alone since you threatened that other inmate, and I've got my friends and stuff. They're good gals, and I'm, I'm starting on some placemats for us. It's been kind of a weird day. You and me both, babe. Listen... Anyone around here know about your days in the agency? What? How did you... Um, no, not around here. In the city there's a few, but I haven't seen them in, oh gosh, north of ten years. What's the deal? We got a client today. Mentioned how he trusted you to handle this case because of your agency training. Trusted me to handle it? I don't understand. Neither did I, but I'm sort of putting it together. He knows about your past, but he doesn't know about where you are, so... I figure he's not from around here. Well, where did he say he was from? That's the thing. This blondie comes waltzing in in a suit, and I mean a real expensive deal. Saying he's from the town, specifically from the edge of town, I sort of roped him into that part, but he was lying through his teeth. Gave me some song and dance about his kid being kidnapped. He had a photo and a ransom note and everything. Seemed honest and upset enough, but for obvious reasons. I found it fishy. Only took it because he mentioned you. Did you bring the photo? Stella grinned and handed over the picture. 
Told him it was your kid. Macy looked over the photo. She didn't recognize the kid. She handed it back. And the note? Well, I couldn't bring it, obviously, so you'll have to use your skills of memorization. It's sort of a poem, and it's pretty straightforward, but the end is kind of cryptic. I'm going to have to have a chat with our client, but I wanted to see if it made sense to you first. So just look at me and smile like I'm telling you about home. Stella looked indeed like she was telling some sort of cute anecdote from home as she recited for Macy the poem from the ransom note. Macy listened patiently and thought for a moment. Listen, Stell, something's happening. I don't really know who to trust right now, but let's stay on this one. Huh. Two cases in one day, and I'm a criminal. Business is better than we thought, huh, babe? Uh, I'm sorry, what? You, you're taking a case? Listen, I know Julian was hesitant about representing me being out of practice and being friends with me and all, but I need a real attorney now, not a court-appointed schmuck who's going to get me locked away forever. This is deep, Stell, and we can trust Jules. Will you impress that upon him? This is important. Well, geez, Macy, of course, but what is this all about? This is about Alexis Grayson and the mother country. Has Macy ever had a pristine past? Where did Matthew Landsberg come from? And what's his connection to our heroines? Will Tommy ever love again? Tune in next week for at least some of these answers in the next installment of Decker and Hayes. Shadows of Gotham City. In that episode of Decker and Hayes, the narrator was Daniel Schwartz, Stella Decker was Angela Tymon, Macy Hayes was Lynn Nelson, Tommy Potsdam was Nicholas Roach, Matthew Landsberg was Frank Allen, Lexi Grayson was Kate Slotwinski, Derek Washburn was Elijah Weberhan, and the prison guard was Jordan D. White. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Mikowski. Yes, absolutely correct. And I, I, you know what? We forgot to mention that Frank Allen was acting in second season of Decker and Hayes. Congratulations, Frank. That was a very exciting acting role you played as uh, part of the CIA there. Yes, it was a lot of fun to do. It was a lot of fun to do. Uh, I'd be happy to do more acting as well. I, I, I should mention because I, I'm a very good host, debate host. I'm a very good interviewer. I'm, I'm a good newsman, as you hear on guard duty all the time. But I'm also a good actor. So if anybody wants to hire me for any of these things, castandwax.gmail.com, or if they want that house, or they don't want a house, I mean. Right. All right. Well, that's the... Uh, the end of the serials for the episode, but we do have a couple of pieces of email we wanted to read. All right, this first one is from uh, uh, from Dr. Sasquatch. What? I'm not, he wrote those again? Well, no, I mean, yes, it's from Dr. Sasquatch, but not that Dr. Sasquatch. You'll, you'll see. Frank, can you read this for me? Sure. Uh, Dear Mr. White, I've been enjoying your podcast a great deal. The stories are very funny. I just have one thing that's bothering me. You seem to have been influenced by a group which has been demonstrated to have malicious intentions towards me. I do not know their name, but the effects of the spiteful campaign have been pervasive and unmistakable. For years, they've been sending agents to convince many influential people in the media and in politics that I do not exist. Although this is a patently absurd claim, the group has proven itself extremely powerful through the remarkable degree of success it has achieved. Numerous media broadcasts and publications have taken it upon themselves to perpetuate this hurtful claim. A sharp decline in my business that I have been experiencing cannot be explained in any other way than to conclude that many of my patients have been persuaded by society into thinking my existence a falsehood. This ordeal has been highly destructive to my peace of mind and to my livelihood. I can tell by the contents of the previous podcast episodes that you too have been taken in by the 
nefarious members of this mysterious organization. Please, take this communication as proof of my reality. I urge you in the strongest possible terms to inform your listeners of this fact to cease all friendly communications with evil agents who have been thrusting the falsehood of my fictionality upon you and to surrender their identities to me immediately so I might pursue them. Thank you very much, Dr. Edmund C. Sasquatch. Um, and I should point out that the Sasquatch there is spelled S-A-S-Q-U-A-C-H. I don't think this is the Dr. Sasquatch you see, Skate. Well, it doesn't sound like the same one. No, I don't. I think I think this might be a guy whose name is Sasquatch. I mean, sort of. Sasquatch. No, nah, it's still Sasquatch. A, a guy whose last name is Sasquatch who is kind of confused. Yeah, well, that's what it sounds like to me. I, but I have a, actually a question. Jordan, did you say on the show there is no Dr. Sasquatch? No, uh, I mean, no, Escape. There, there's a Dr. Sasquatch, right? He's real, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, no, he's totally real. That's how I get medically checked out. That's why I don't have to go to the vet. So he's really real. Like, that's not some... You're not, like, making this up. No! I can sneak that. I can sneak out of the house. And I see Dr. Sasquatch. And I saw him when we were in Binghamton. And I s still see him in New York. It's fine. Okay? It's fine. He's real. He's real? Yes. Okay. So, Dr. Sasquatch, Dr. Edmund C. Sasquatch, we're not talking about you when we say things about Dr. Sasquatch, but I'm, I'm sure you're, you're both real. I mean, you wrote to us, and the other Sasquatch, we never said he wasn't real. Next up, we have another email. Oh, Rory, uh, we have another email from the Brooklyn Institute for Extra Historical Studies, but this time, it's uh, it's one for you. Oh, excellent. Um, let's see. Who wrote to me? Was it um, was it Samantha? Uh, no, no. It's... Uh, here, I'll read it to you. Uh, Rory, love the podcast, but... But I want to ask you to remember to wash out your coffee mugs when you're done. This is not the universe where we are made of coffee mugs. This is not even the universe where we are made of coffee mug cleaners. Thank you. Paul Pepper, janitorial staff, Brooklyn Institute for Extra Historical Studies. So he says he, he's into your uh, your part of the podcast. Yes. Uh, yes, he does say that. And he also says about coffee mugs. Well, um, thank you for writing in, Paul. And I shall try not to make your life more difficult with my coffee. Oh, Rory, don't sound so testy. He said he, he said he loved the podcast. Right. Yes. Okay. Uh, and last last one we're going to read today, I think. Uh, Rory, can you read? Uh, this one is for for me or Scape. But if you would read it for us, sure. Yes, no problem. Uh, Dear Jordan or Scape, I heard on your show last week that a major cat food manufacturer has been including human meat in the cat food he sells. This was a very interesting revelation. I wonder if you could tell me what that company is. It is safe. I promise. I won't tell the police or any other journalist. Cross my heart and hope to die. Although I don't really hope to die. Although I guess I will have to eventually someday, but that's a depressing subject. Anyway, as I was saying, I was just thinking it's really interesting, and I want to know for my own information. Just curious. No one else has to know. In fact, it might be safer for the general public if I do know. Ha ha ha! By the way, Scape, what does this brand of cat food taste like? I am dying, but not really dying, thank goodness, to know. Your fan, Don Jefferson. Well, uh, Don, I, I, I'm sad to tell you that Scape will not tell us who this cat food company was. Uh, he says he has journalistic integrity for some reason. Dad! I do! Yes, but they're breaking the law. Look, I, I feel like it would be better if you turned them in. I'm not gonna. I have... This is my integrity. Yes, but why? Why do you need integrity? You're not a journalist. But I could! I could do whatever I wanted. Maybe I would be a journalist. Maybe. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, if I ever do another interview, how can they trust me if I'm turning people in for crimes? Well, I mean, that doesn't... I turn people in for crimes all the time. I keep getting interviews. But that's because nobody ever listens to your interview. That's not true. It's, it's kind of true. It's not. 
not so. Well. Guys, no. Well, uh, well, Scape, what's the uh, the answer? What did it taste like? What do you mean? Well, you ate the cat food with the people in it. I did. Yeah, he get. Remember the guy brought you cat food? And oh, that was no, that was chicken. It was chicken flavor. It wasn't person. I mean, I don't think he labels them person flavor. It, was, it tasted like chicken to me. All right. Well, either he didn't eat the cat food that was human, or it tasted like chicken. So now you know. All right, that just about does it for this week. And hopefully, you'll all be back next week where we have lots more stuff. Let's all wish Rory good luck. Good luck, Rory. Very good luck for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Be seeing you. I said the waxwork.com, it is really the bomb. It's got those all original creative projects from the bunch of hoboys. And ladies. Chilling in the Mercedes, laughing all the way to Hades while I tap on the dime. Oh, we got our yeah. updates weekly, our sites uniquely. Customized for all you guys who want to critique me. But don't try to front when you're on the front page. Go to the message button, post so you'll be feeling my rage. I'm a madman. When it comes to this site, I'm busy macking on the counter nearly every single night. But if it's your belief, then you'll be giving me grief and slipping off of that mic. Because I'm editor in chief, I'm Mr. White, y'all. Uh-huh. They call me Jordan or Joe, but I'm busy keeping it free so everyone can afford to scope out what we can do, me and my waxwork group. But when you're through, we beg you, just go and post on the board, yo. On the next episode of Cast and Wax, on Epic Echoes, the flashback works together. But it'll take more than just magic to defeat this monster. Max is right. We'll need science. And strength. And insight. And courage. And maybe just a bit of dumb luck. And when we put it all together, there's not a force in the world that can stop us. Flashpack! Flashpack! On Debatatorium, Frank Allen stares in the face of danger. I have an axe with your name on it, Frank. Here, I give it to you. Thank you very much. In the stomach! Oh, that was close, but thankfully it missed as well. Nothing will stop the might of Kraltor! And on guard duty, the Vengeance Squad squabbles. That's it, you're dead! Huh! You think that... You think... You think you can... Dragon Drop, stop this. Who's a pansy now, huh? You wanna take it back now, do ya? Not if... Not if you... Not... Dragon Drop! All this, plus history and interviews, coming September 1st to Waxwork.com.